welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m., 7 p.m., and Monday mornings at 1 a.m. Streaming live at richarddugan.com, which is also where you'll find the podcasts. We call these broadcast podcasts, and we encourage you to check out our podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and many other locations that uh, we are going to uh, uh, be thankful to those who are reposting these interviews. I, I, I'm very appreciative of that. We're also going to link to our guests' website so that you can continue your evolutionary process. And uh, we hope that you will do so. We'll give you our guest website shortly. We hope that you will stay with us throughout the entire interview. We encourage you to go to the podcast, especially because that is where you're going to get the majority of the information. We're going to continue on throughout as much time as we can get from our guests. So we're very excited about that. Today, we are going to talk about excellence. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about it uh, with a gentleman who is, um, it's Dr. Uh, and his last name is pronounced Ajay Kumar. We want to thank you so much, doctor, for joining us here on the program all the way. I'm very excited about the fact that all the way from India. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even sure what the time difference is, but I'm guessing it's probably uh, late night or early morning where you are. Where, no, it is uh, nine o'clock in the evening. Oh, well, that's, that, that's not too bad. It's, it's yeah. still before my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. This aspect of um, excellence, what, what are we talking about here? What do you mean by excellence? See, uh, Richard, historically, we always felt uh, the excellence is in certain countries, maybe in advanced countries. The excellence is related to certain uh, population. Uh, ethnicity, but one of the things my own journey has shown is uh, clearly that uh, it has no borders. Excellence can be there in US, excellence can be in Africa, excellence can be in India. That has been my story. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> mainly, you know, I, I immigrated to US in 1975. I spent a lot of time in one of the best centers, uh, and I was fortunate to train in MD Anderson, which is a big cancer center. I had a passion for cancer because at that time, uh, people saw cancer in a different way, both uh, in India and in US. So I, I know cancer was considered a very terminal stage. So when I trained, uh, I decided I had an opportunity to stay in MD Anderson, but I really wanted to start my own center, learn the ropes. So when I went to Midwest and started the center, I quickly realized, even though I was from India, people appreciated for what I knew and people came from 100 mile radius. And very quickly I became busy and started to have partners and all. I started the center from scratch. So when I looked at that, and then when I started looking at India, uh, I looked at the great uh, disparity between the, the technology and the quality of care, even though people were there, good doctors were here between the two countries. I decided to, to see how I can start similar centers in India, across India using our bent spoke model. So what I really shown is that if you really want, you can really bridge the gap. That is what we have done uh, in India, nearly 23 comprehensive centers. Globally, we have no other competitor like that, no other entity like that. And we have shown that, you know, Harvard Business School has done various studies on us, case studies to show how what we call as value-based medicine can be done. For a much less cost, we are able to get same outcome. In, let us say breast cancer, colon cancer, lung cancer, equal to the best of centers, which must less cost. So what I try to show in this book is in my own journey, how you know excellence really is across borders. Excellence is limited to one place or one ethnicity. It crosses all borders, all ethnicity. You know, it is possible to do in any country you want, any ethnicity you want, uh, provided, you know, you, you, you are a, like an entrepreneur spirit, provided you take the challenge the right way. That is what I've tried to show in this book. Well, I know that there are many out there today who are feeling that uh, <laughs> we are far from excellent. Uh, we are far from excellence, I guess I should say, uh, because of the 
the way in which, and particularly uh, in the way in which this pandemic that has been declared by the health, World Health Organization uh, has, has been handled uh, around the world, but actually more specifically here in the United States. Uh, I, I, I've, I've heard this phrase, and I'm sure you, you've heard this phrase many times um, prior to your becoming a, a naturalized citizen. This is the land of opportunity. And when the pandemic was declared, I thought, great, they're going to do something different than they've done with the influenza over my 60 years, my short little 60 years on the planet. <laughs> they're going to shut things down. So they're actually going to do something different this time, which now means, and I was, and I'm still all for it, which now means we're going to get a different result. I was so excited about that uh, because we'd gotten the same result every other time. We did nothing and the flu spread across the planet and there are different seasons and all of that stuff. We lost productivity uh, in our companies. We lost, uh, uh, you know, people lost sometimes wages because they were laid up with the flu or whatever it was that was seasonal and so on and so forth. I don't know if the same situation happens in India uh, or other countries like it does here in the United States, but it's almost as though we here in the United States have this attitude and uh, correct me, if I'm wrong from you as an observer, we don't want to learn from anybody else. We are so great. We are so fantastic that, you know, I don't care if India has a vaccine. We don't want it. We'll come up with our own. That's the, from, and again, I'm, I'm a, I was born here. So yeah, I can say this, that the, the arrogance of this country and the attitude in this country is such that we miss incredible opportunities. Well, this virus, this coronavirus and this pandemic, do you think that from your observation, and I know India is being hit uh, somewhat by this, um, is creating incredible opportunities for people around the world. They're doing things they never thought they would do. And I don't mean just staying home and shutting down their businesses. I mean, being innovative and creative is that part of excellence yeah it is for example you know we never thought as a doctor as an entrepreneur i can um, not go to my office but still do pretty much the same thing i would have done in the office using the technology today and using teams using zoom contacting people even giving advice to patients in their difficult times, you know, not only psychological, but definitive advice. Of course, for particular treatment, they may have to come to the hospital, but a lot of work can be done at home and from their own home offices. So one of the game changer this COVID has shown is clearly that uh, while we celebrate a lot of things uh, in life and we want to be in parties, we want to meet, all of those are basic human nature as we know. Man is a social being, human being. But on the other hand, the COVID has taught that how important it is environment, the how important it is for us to respect certain things in nature. And what is the, the COVID situation has also given us, the world is one. It is cross borders. It cannot say that this kind of Ebola virus happened only in Africa. I am not bothered, but it is a global phenomenon. So it is time for us to think of us as a global entity. We are like uh, what we say, you know, it is like uh, we are citizen of the world. It really doesn't matter where you are in US or India or anywhere. So this brings home the point, how do we address the issues facing this globe today? Be it environmental issue, climate issues. You know, we, one affects the another. We are all dependent on each other. We cannot get away from that. And the future is that future, if you want to have a peace, good health across the, across the globe, we have to really care for each other. We know, for example, I was doing a calculation. Trillions of dollars have been spent on the post, you know, during the COVID era. As you know, United States, even India. Where did this money come from? Suddenly, how did this money come? You know, we were saying we are in debt. Media is saying we can't afford suddenly trillions of dollars have been put to use. Why couldn't we have put to use before for healthcare, simple preventive health, simple looking at, you know, 
childbirth, simple mortality rate. Why couldn't you know even United States or other countries say, okay, we will allocate so much to Africa, do this, and why can't China would have done so many things? I think it should be something we should reflect on. You know, while we want to be isolationist, one of the things we are seeing in the in the world today. Each nation wants to be for themselves. They want. They don't want to participate in the globe. Today, I know United States withdrew from WHO. Is that the right thing to do? You know. So I think you know we are global. We have to address each citizen of the globe because it affects each other. We cannot get away from this in in a business wise, economy wise, health wise. We are all interrelated, Richard. This is a fact. We we just cannot escape. And today we are not going to have wars. You know, there won't be. Who wants any territory? Who wants an army to take on another territory? We are looking at really business control, economic control is what is the future. You know, we look at. You know, suppose you say, you know, I want to occupy Bangalore. Bangalore is an IT company. I will move all the IT to Sri Lanka or somewhere. You know, so we are we are looking at. You know, nobody wants to take a physical possession of a land. What are we going to do? At one time we did. Because there were natural resources, there were so many other things we want. Today it is all technology; it is intangible, lot of it. So we have to address this issue in a different way. And I think the important thing is it has given us uh, some. We have to reflect on what has happened with COVID, and it has given a food for thought to really think how we should go forward to preserve this planet. You know, you you raise some very salient points there and it is amazing to me <clears throat> and i i just uh, have celebrated my 60th uh, uh year on this planet and uh, as i said before a very short period of time by universal standards and i sit here asking the same kinds of questions it's uh, the way that we've been doing things and one of our slogans here on this program tell me your story is that we're looking for those new ways of living because the old ways don't work. Just look around you. And what you, the, the comment you just made about suddenly there were these trillions of dollars in each of these countries, and in our case, dollars, of course, uh, that just miraculously appeared to help to fight <laughs> this thing, to help to do something. It's like, wait a minute, where were those five minutes ago before the signature? You know, right. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if in, in India they have been uh, uh, giving out any kind of stipend or anything for people staying home here in, the, in this country. We received uh, individually twelve hundred dollars a piece uh, and then we get an extra six hundred dollars a week uh, added to our unemployment. If we are furloughed or laid off or we lose our jobs, they're now talking as you and I are conversing. They are now talking about a second Stimulus package of, I don't know if it's 1200 I don't know what the amount is. Uh, if they give it, fine. If they don't, fine. Uh, a lot of people uh, make the comment, oh, well, this is free money. No, it's not. It's yours. These are, these are your yeah. tax dollars. Not, <laughs> it's not, it, and it's not free. You know, you worked for that money, and now they're just giving it back to you. And I, I say more power to them. Please give it back to me. Um, because you're doing a lousy job of, of allocating it to the places that it needs to be, like the areas you just spoke about. Does India have uh, the same kinds of issues from that governmental level in terms of yeah, we uh, have, uh, distribution? We have, uh, see, India is uh, like United States. India, there is a wide gap between the rich and the poor. Uh, these are the two countries in the world which are often quoted the small percentage of uh, population control the major wealth of the country. You know, like nearly 1% probably controls 75-80% of the wealth. So similar to what is in United States to an extent. So the disparity between the general gaps are very high. You know, you have a nearly 350 million equal to United States population, middle class, upper class. But the problem is we have 900 million, which is in the lower socioeconomic. So that is the huge population mix, which is what we see. And the challenge for uh, India is, how do we treat this as one country, be it education, healthcare, whatever it is. We have the affluent India, which is growing rapidly. But unfortunately, the, the, the poor India, the lower uh, economic strata India are not moving up the ladder that fast. So the gap is widening. So the challenge is how do you bridge the gap and treat it as one country? 
or do you treat it as a continent different countries within a country and uh, let go so this is an issue which uh, the government is facing in the populistic ideas they always want to promote always for the vote getting you know the lower socio economic group which are the give them hope to throw them some crumbs and make them vote for you you know that is what yeah. everybody does and unfortunately that is not the answer that is not the right way you know education proper healthcare universal health these are important things first to, to for us to become a more advanced country and we are not paying much attention to that if you look at the education level the middle class the 300 million or so you know highly educated as you know there are a lot of indians in us who are technology savvy there are doctors engineers technologists who move who are moving but very well educated but there are you no know, majority of the people are still not that educated and they are more rural so this is a wide gap and you know the fortunately for the government the indian population is very tolerant you know i can say that and because of the tolerance they get away with all this but in the long run you know something like covid and all it has been very destructive to the entire economy and it is going to affect the the poorest of the poor are the ones who are going to be affected in healthcare you know trying to make their ends meet and all and the government is not able to really provide a huge subsidy like united states they have tried to do something for the poorer population they have tried to give them some you know free uh, like you know see uh, free uh, food formation they have created something uh, to give them rice and uh, dal related matters but beyond that i don't think they can extend at this time Uh, so that is the dilemma under which they are now and hoping someday the covid will go away and we'll return to the normal economy that is the hope we have mm. well you know it's also true too that here in the states and i i would love to hear your observations of of india because uh, we have not heard a lot other than numbers from other countries these days we don't know what's going on in these other in, in other countries right now because we're so self focused you know um but in this country uh there's also the discussion as to who's to blame for the virus is it china did the united states do this and send it to china to try to because of the trade deals and this i mean all these conspiracy theories i mean it's just like who cares <laughs> who cares this is where we are now and according to medical science This is a dangerous virus be primarily because we have no vaccine. Yeah. At least that's what we're being and again this goes back to the conspiracy theories because that's what we're being told that there's no vaccine. Uh I saw one uh, web uh, I saw one YouTube uh, video where a gentleman showed some documents showing a patent for the coronavirus COVID-19. So it was created. This is a video I saw. And then he showed another patent for the vaccine for the cure that was owned by a particular pharmaceutical company and i'm thinking really okay but that doesn't make any difference now because here we are here we are you and i are conversing 4 5 6 months down the road the united states has been virtually shut down since probably uh, late february early may uh, uh march that kind of Oops. thing uh i've been fortunate that i've been able to continue to work my wife was furloughed for uh three or four months we oh, wow. we did yeah we did fine uh the irony is <clears throat> that uh between unemployment and that little extra that they were throwing in every every week most people didn't want to go back to work because they were making more on unemployment <laughs> than they were working and yeah. and i sat there saying well then i must be an anomaly uh, maybe you are too doc because <laughs> yeah for a week or two maybe pushing 3 yeah i could sit around the house and just collect i'd get bored i i need to be doing something and i need to be doing this talking with people such as yourself to try to find find some answers if nothing more than finding answers to how we as individuals individuals can cope with this situation can um better mentally physically spiritually emotionally make yeah. it through this process that we are we're going through 
and I find it interesting that a lot of the people that are really upset over having to be uh, sent home and stay home and so on and so forth, initially when they were told to do this, they complied willingly. And now they're complaining because we've now, we haven't hit our second wave. We're now in yeah. wave 2.0. It's wave one, 2.0. Because people refuse to stay away from each other. They refuse to wear the masks. And, and I came up with a slogan. I don't know how well this would go over in India. Wash up, mask up, step back. Yeah. Wash up, mask up, step back. Hmm. What is your observation? Tell me about what's going on there on the other side of the globe from us in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, citizen willingness and understanding of what the what the threat is and what the consequences are of not following health rules if you will for this this pandemic yeah uh, and so See, like i was trying to say richard india is has multiple layers we have the urban india rural india huge population so when the covid situation came around the February or so, the first case was detected in South India. Everybody, the, the patient had come from China, had traveled, a student from Wuhan only. So everybody thought it is going to be contained, it is only travelers, let us take some measures. But when they realized it's more than that, we went for a national lockdown in March. And it was quite successful, actually, the whole of uh, part of March and uh, April and most of May, we were in sh shutdown. But because of the economic reasons and um, push and pull from various industries, business entities, they decided to lift. They called it partial lift or in graded lifting. They did lift. And the lift has really caused a significant increase in the numbers. Today, we are number three in the world. We see about 20,000 plus new cases a day. And most of the, fortunately, most of this disease is still in big cities. It has not affected the rural India yet. But long behold, if it affects rural India, it will be a disaster. So people have taken measures uh, in terms of even rural people I know have communicated, have taken a lot of measures to prevent this disease from spreading. So we think it may be peaking. In the last few days, the number has not gone up significantly. It has remained around 20, 21,000. Uh, it is affecting various cities. But like in the United States, you cannot look at India as one, one country. We have to you know, separate out North India from South India, East and West, because it's a huge population distribution, huge uh, geography differences. So when you look at each state by state, I think some states are now beginning to improve. Some are getting worse, as we have seen in U.S., where New York is better, whereas Texas may be getting worse. Similar patterns are emerging. And mm. if you compare to what happened in Italy and Germany, we think we may be, both the countries may be on the way for a decrease in the next month or so. That is my feeling. Uh, of course, vaccination is the answer for all. India has also produced some vaccination. They are really saying that... Uh, our Independence Day is August 15th. They're going to launch the vaccine. That is what the government has announced. I don't know how far they will succeed. But India, pharmaceutical industry in India is very powerful. We export a lot of drugs. We are very big in that. So we have uh, some insight into the medical knowledge, quite in deep insight. So people are working very hard on plasma therapy, uh, cytogen kinase therapy. So various therapies have come. And the death rate in India actually is lower compared to another, other countries. We are only at about 2%. And most of the people who have died are in elderly with comorbidity like diabetes, blood pressure and all. So compared to what happened in Italy and all, our death rate is low. Still, it may go up. But there are various theories put out on the genomics of the Indian population, South Indian population compared to the Caucasian. And there is some kind of natural natural immunity related to people who have exposed to tuberculosis is that so there are various like you said conspiracy theories i will yeah. call it scientific theories have <laughs> come about explaining why there is a difference no yeah. but the jury is still out honestly we will not know the real answer for next few years only when we look back and collect the data 
and analyze we will know what what was the reason it spread what were the reason people died is it uh, is it like h1n1 is it cytokine storm uh, various theories are going around what happens to the bleeding clotting time so we just need to really study this uh, look at the autopsies look at the natural history and see what happens with vaccination and come to some answers so really it is a study in progress well there's no question and I, I, am i am i correct in my assessment and observation uh, from what i've heard from our news sources and health sources that though we are learning more and more each day about this virus uh, specifically covid-19 we still don't know a lot about it i even heard something yesterday in the news that even the, the the people that have been tested who had the virus who then had the antibodies because they survived it yeah. the antibodies are gone in these people it's like they had the antibodies to fight off this thing and then the antibodies disappeared yeah. See, in this regard, there are a lot of things going on. And one of the things, we are actually collecting our own data here. One of the things which has uh, come about is, uh, you're right, people with disease having a recurrence disease. Uh, those who think once they get it, they're pretty much cured, may not be so, because it could be different uh, a strain of this COVID virus which is coming. How excellence plays into all of this? Yeah. So, you know, honestly, um, people are under the impression that as i said you know in my own story on cancer it is on cancer i clearly state that uh, any country doesn't matter africa india us europe uh, can have excellence and there is no need for borders it all depends on the mindset of the people mindset of the the government the doctors the hospitals and you know you know for example i'll give you one thing you know when i started bringing technology to india for example uh, like high end linear accelerator uh, cyber knife radio surgery robotic surgery equipment we were one of the first ones to bring that kind of technology transformation from cobalt there are a lot of naysayers in private in government saying that india cannot afford the the common excuse given was we can't afford this kind of uh, technology the poor people cannot pay but what harvard business school when they did a study on us was shocked how is it possible you created this subbent spoke model and made cancer accessible affordable and getting the same outcome and make these projects viable see the most important thing is you have to bring in technology bring in the right um, type of doctors expertise put together a plan where viability is there at the same time you don't compromise i always say cancer is cancer it doesn't know rich or poor it has to be treated the only way the right way so if you do it it doesn't you know it has no borders so excellence really means excellence there is no compromise like cancer in excellence in cancer is you treat cancer the right way at that time you know in 2020 june what is the right way to treat cancer that's the way to treat it could be different in the 2030 that's a different matter but in this year globally can we do what is the right treatment and today i'm very proud to say that we are able to deliver that kind of care across our centers meeting the global standards so that is why you know excellence really has no borders and there are a lot of governments lot of uh, public private who give their own opinions armchair theorists who say no way we can match the west no way we can match this even in united states for example let us take the challenge we know healthcare cost is high i am a medicare recipient actually you know look at the healthcare cost how it has gone up but is it possible to bring down the cost like for example in india i can do for example a very sophisticated scan like pet scan positron emission tomography i do it for 350 dollars in united state it is 2500 dollars upwards so why is it i can do at this price because i have created a model is nothing to do with hr costs or anything it's a model you create so obviously you know it is possible even in united states to bring down the cost whereby you don't have to spend 17 or 18% of the gdp maybe like europe you can spend 5 or 6% of the gdp and still provide the same quality of care so that is why i say you know excellence has really nothing to do with money how much you spend 
as long as you meet the basic requirement excellence has nothing to do with which country you are excellence has nothing to do with where do you come from as an individual so all of this you know has to be looked at is as one entity and see how we create the models and that is what i have been able to achieve with the group of doctors i work with is this a, is this really a it sounds to me like a huge change in one's mindset yes that <laughs> if you don't uh, and and I, I think what really epitomizes that for me is the Einsteinian phrase that says you cannot solve a problem with the same consciousness that created it. And that's what it sounds like the rest of the world is trying to do. They're using the same consciousness to try to solve healthcare right. and all of the other issues that, that face mankind. And it's like, it's never going to, it's never going to change because you're not willing to step outside the nine dots or step outside the box as the phrase goes uh, and, and consider other but, possibilities. But That's Richard, one of the reasons why we have folks like you. But I want to say something and having spent a lot of time in US, mm -hmm. I can really give a lot of credit for US healthcare, whatever people say. US has been the leader in research. A lot of money has gone into coming up with new drugs, new tech. Look at the cancer care itself. Mm -hmm. How it has changed in the few decades. What we thought was untreatable disease, today is treatable. If somebody comes with lung cancer, we used to give six months, nine months to live. We are talking about six years now to live, even with advanced disease. So the phenomenal change from chemotherapy to biotherapy, immunotherapy, uh, you know, very radio surgery, uh, targeted surgery, all this has given good quality of life to cancer patients. And similarly in other fields, you know, I am not an expert in other fields, but I, I know similarly in other fields. So I think this is because of the enormous effort made by major universities, major biotech companies, and most of them have originated in US. So we have to give a lot of credit for what has happened. The cost is high, I agree with you, but what has been given by U.S. is phenomenal. That enterprise, that, uh, that uh, uh, entrepreneurs coming forward and developing different technology, biotechnology, and able to understand longevity, you know, even spent billions of dollars in gene, gene sequencing. You know, we have a big lab for gene, gene sequencing. Amazing work we are able to do here. So I think this credit has to go. How major transformation has happened you know, today we don't have communicable diseases anymore. We have non-communicable disease. A lot of it is related to longevity. And, you know, we are talking about gene editing. We are talking about so many things. In future, it is possible. We will even win the war on these non-communicable diseases. And whether it is right or wrong morally, it's a different question. Certainly, the lifespan is going to be expanded, extended tremendously in the coming decades. So all of this is because of the science. We cannot get away from that. And United States has been the leader in that. And a lot of the countries, even a lot of European countries, they have done some work, mostly their followers. So we have to give a lot of credit to that, even though there are issues in terms of uh, cost of medicine, cost of treatment. So it's a trade-off in a way. Yeah. I, and, I, and it sounds kind of strange, uh, but, but there are always, always pros and cons to, to virtually everything. And uh, yeah. we need to understand that. And, and that, that just because it looks bad, I mean, see, this is the thing about cancer, for example. And my, my second wife, my present wife, uh, she had a rare form of, of cancer uh, back in 2001. She was okay. diagnosed in July. Uh, she had the surgery in August and went through chemo September through January of 2001 to 2002. And, uh, you know, it, it, one of the questions that I would ask of guests on my programs at that time had to do with re is the research going on to study the cancer cell to try to glean some of the good stuff. I mean, look at how it replicates. Is there a way we could somehow go in? I don't know if it has genes or chromosomes or DNA uh, and, and find out what it is that makes that, cell regenerate more of itself that we could incorporate into our own cells of in, for my, in my case for example i have glaucoma in my left eye i don't see out of that eye 
Uh, but then oh. again, I never really did when I did have sight. Well, every seven years, they say the body regenerates 100% of its cells, the trillions. Well, why yeah. is it that if I cut my hand, okay, and then uh, the cut heals over time, and maybe there's a scar, maybe there isn't, but it's, it's back to normal. Why isn't the eye going back to the healthy way that it should be? That's one of the questions that I have asked time and time again as to why that is. And again, that's not a question for you to answer necessarily, but I put it up as the, the question, say, for the coronavirus. Are there things that we can learn from it? And, and I guess right now, what we're for initially what we have to learn is how do we create a vaccine to stop it? That's number one. Then we can start to study it a little more closely and say, okay, what are its characteristics? What are its pros and cons? Is there a way that we can utilize a certain part of this virus for good health and so forth and so on? And that's one of the things that I think, and I thank you so much for your, your kudos to America and the, our innovations um, over the, over the decade, over the decades, uh, because, you know, it hasn't been all bad, you know, and, and, and that's the other thing, too, is, uh, you know, there's, again, there's the pros and cons. You also used an interesting term. You use an interesting term, and you kind of alluded to it a little while ago. You were talking about entrepreneurs, but uh, you consider yourself a doctorpreneur. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, I love the term. Tell me, what, what does that mean to you? What, what is a doctorpreneur? See, majority of the times, um, which are doctors love working for someone, they have a partnership model, they work, and they don't really like to take risks. Doctors rarely become good entrepreneurs. Uh, they don't start chain of hospitals on their own. They don't start maybe one clinic they may start, then they have partners. But in my journey, and the, and the message is very clear. Why do you want to become an entrepreneur? See, a lot of people are serial entrepreneurs. They want to build something, sell and move on and make some millions or billions and move on to another project. But as a doctorpreneur, I have, I have done it with a vision. So I am more of a social entrepreneur. I feel that there is a need to do something, bridge the gap in cancer care. I feel I have the knowledge to do and I feel like I can take the risk of what an entrepreneur does, but at the same time use my knowledge as a doctor, as a practicing doctor, combine the two to create a model where, you know, honestly, you get best of words, you know, where you achieve all the goals. People who want to invest with you, private equities, others may get their returns. Uh, the, the public obviously gets served. They are the stakeholder also. They get served. Patients are treated with great, with great outcomes. And the doctors who are, who are part of this system are really professionally satisfied, not only in terms of monetary, but in terms of satisfaction, academic research, paper publication. So it is like a, uh, it is like a, you win, everywhere there's a win. You know, what is the negative side? Is a risk the entrepreneur takes. It may be, it's possible that you may fail. I mean, you may become a pauper. <laughs> we don't know. That is what I told my wife in the book, you know, I, I told her there was a, we had moved to Boston uh, from Midwest before moving to India. And I said, I will keep Boston as my hometown, become a daughter of a study and come and go from India. So we bought a nice house on the beach. Everything was settled, everything. But you know, in the, my first page of the book starts with a bust which happened in 2000, the stock market bust, how I lost most of my wealth. So I had to really wake up my wife in the middle of the night at two o'clock and say, you know what, the nice house we bought, we remodel, we have to sell now. And I want to do this. I want not, don't want to give up what my vision is. So she was shocked. But, you know, uh, you know, like a great uh, spouse, you know, she was part of this. She said, fine, let us do that. And we were able to, you know, sell. It was a story by itself who I sold to. But from that and other things I made up and started working on the India project. So the whole idea is, uh, you know, comes to that. It is... Uh, Entrepreneur is a risk taker. Doctors traditionally don't try to take this. So a doctorpreneur is one who kind of looks at entrepreneurship, but still wants to be a doctor, still wants to practice, see the patients. This is my 45th year in oncology, but still do what an entrepreneur does. So this is why, you know, we coined the word doctorpreneur. 
I like it. I like it. I like new words. I even like taking old <laughs> words and rephrasing them. I, I do not believe in coincidence. Uh, the way it's used, uh, it, it implies that there are certain events in our lives that happen that are just random, that it's just magic. Oh, no. Yeah. no. Uh, so I've rephrased it. Uh, I've taken, taken this from, from the Brits uh, to rephrasing, uh, repronouncing words uh, like laboratory is laboratory. Uh, and I, I refer to, yeah, and I refer to uh, uh, coincidences as coincidences, incidents okay. that happen at the same time. We may not know what the reason is, but we're seeing some incredible changes in our lives, in our societies, in our civilizations, and uh, it's it's just phenomenal. And that's what's happening now across the globe as well as here in the United States. And I'm sure there in India, you're observing the same kinds of things. New things are happening that never happened before. And I'm not just, and, and maybe it's the, the, the catalyst has been the coronavirus. Uh, because I don't know that, again, I know you have the issue of class, the class system there in India, uh, you know, with what I know of it, what little I know of it. Uh, but we have the class system here too. You know, we just don't call Absolutely. it that. We just don't call it that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. that's starting to change because people are starting to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute. Something's not right here. They're finally beginning to realize, oh, I see what's going on. No, 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 no. We're not going to play this game anymore. We want, we want a new game and a new set of rules. And um, it, it seems to me like that's what's starting to happen globally is that people are standing up yes. and they're, they're saying they're demanding from their leaders you either lead or get the hell out of the way because we're coming through. We Correct. want a different society. And I don't know if this is Pollyanna. I don't know if this is utopian thinking. You think it's impossible that we could uh, actually create uh, an equitable society for all? We're at 7.8 billion people right now. They say that by 2050, we'll be at 11 billion. But this was what was interesting uh, as part of this is sort of a side note. They said that by 2100, the curve would flat. We're trying to flatten the curve with Corona, right? The population growth is, is flattening. Right. You know, the people are just not having the children. Now, yeah. I myself wonder why we are still having children when there are so many children who don't even have families. They're, they're, they're in orphanages and they're out on the streets and this and that and the other. I mean, there are plenty. And I, I, I only partially understand the maternal instinct of women because I'm not a woman. I respect <laughs> it. I understand. Okay, you want to have your own child. But my goodness, there, there's just so, there are so many out there already. But that's what they're saying, that the, that's the curve is supposed to drop off around 2100. Uh, what about in India in terms of this whole issue of class? Are there people who are standing up and saying, okay, we want something different. We want something better for all of us. You know, I don't necessarily want to take away from those who have a lot, but I would sure like to have a little of that lot. Yeah, in India, you know, the, like I tried to briefly mention, we are a very tolerant society for ages for centuries, this class system has been there. The caste system has been there. Post-independence uh, from 1947, in the constitution, of course, nobody talks about caste, nobody talks about race. But unfortunately, the system has evolved where now we do talk about you know, the Hindus, the non-Hindus, Christians, the Muslims. So there is, uh, there is a division. And it is, uh, it is actually getting worse, like what we see even in the United States, how the race factor is playing now, becoming an issue in the elections and all that. In India also, uh, the present government is also very conservative and very Hindu, pro-Hindu oriented. So that is uh, causing friction because we do have, India has the second largest Muslim population in the world after Indonesia. Wow. But how do we, yeah, how, very few people know that, you know, and we are more than Pakistan. How do we address this issue? How do we look upon as a united India? You know, and how do we overcome caste system? Caste is still a problem. If you go to rural India, you know, if you're a Brahmin, you're a, a scheduled caste, you're a tribe, it makes a difference. 
even though constitution wise you have equal rights there are a lot of I mean, rich and poor the other caste system is uh, rich and poor obviously you know how you can be any caste if you're rich you're welcome so these are all the disparities we see in any country like with a, with a long heritage you know unfortunately we are not able to overcome completely but in the constitution and legally everybody has equal right women have equal right all caste minority protection is there all of this has been phenomenally written in the constitution whether it is being followed to that or vested interest to use that exploitation of the political system and the weaker section of the society is huge you know people throw hope if they throw hope you know and then there is the theory of karma i don't know whether you are aware of richard is karma is very simple why am i born poor now why am i suffering oh it's because of your previous births sins so if you perform well this time next time you can become a brahmin you can become an upper caste so this karma theory is well entrenched in the system also in the particularly in the people in the rural background not educated and so this is where you know people find lot of solace in the in god in religion so that is what has been encouraged because you know people you know this is the population the populistic ideas politicians it's great idea give them hope make them vote for you but show them all the time in this is your karma so i think you know we are we are uh, this is something i don't know when the answer is for that what will be the answer whether we need a revolution people tolerant tolerant people have to become intolerant we don't know the answer uh, richard really and uh, we are evolving as we become wealthy maybe it will go away that is what we hope will happen but united states you see what happened united states became affluent but the race has remained a problem you know so i don't know whether wealth the wealth will change it may make it worse also who knows because people become you know possessive of what they have they don't want to share yeah. with any So these are territorial, all, yeah. very territorial. Yeah, <laughs> territorial. You know, yeah, it's a huge issue. It it is indeed. It is indeed. And I I begin to think, you know, how the people <clears throat> at the top here in the United States, it is allegedly the white male, okay, the Caucasian male. Yeah, and that all of the other colors in the rainbow, all of the other. uh uh non white brown and black and so on and so forth my observation today is that the white supremacist has it backwards they are not superior those people that they are trying to keep down they're the superior ones yeah uh, i think about i think about and i know very little about the history of africa but what little i have heard of the history of africa yeah. they had incredible and this we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago maybe thousands they had incredible educational institutions and libraries and on and the list goes on of the incredible contributions that the continent of africa and its people has made to the rest of the world and they were the ones that were enslaved and i say it's because they were the superior ones and that the yeah. whites were inferior or at least they felt inferior so they had to enslave them to do their to do their dirty work so to speak and 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 even in india i would say the same thing that the class system is the same kind of thing that whoever's at the top who's class number 1 obviously doesn't feel very good about themselves so they have to treat class 2 3 oh. 4 and 5 as inferiors it's kind of like the bully in school the bully is more afraid than the one he's bullying they say psychologically uh is that your observation yeah i think definitely i agree with you and uh, this is something which uh, very few people really comprehend and because superiority doesn't come by dominating over the other race uh, i think the tolerance in fact uh, one of the arguments made in india is india is a hindu the majority are hindu why is it india is still hindu compared to lot of other countries which were become either christian or muslim partly because the tolerance if somebody comes us and subjugates us to lot of uh, hardship the population accepted it because they were superior population like you said and said this is a part of life part of the journey accepted and did not convert to other which is the shortcut for that so i think what you say makes lot of sense and also the indian history of colonization we were colonized by british for 200 years 
how we overcame that how what all happened what are the measures from that you know uh, being a race of tolerance and uh, looking at it where you know like even the what they say in uh, bible also testament also like if you somebody hits one cheek show the other cheek i think mm-hmm. that is that shows that superiority of the race and how many people do that today how many people yeah. really do that yeah. you know they 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 go after revenge is the word is there a need for revenge the mature society will never ask for revenge and even a criminal who commits murder you know i always believe you know this may be a little bit out of line but because i study a lot of genomics and do a lot of work in genes you know mm-hmm. it is related to them maybe related to the gene can we do a study on the people who murdered somebody murdered a woman raped a person is it something beyond the human is it why is it why do they do that is it something their gene mm-hmm. makeup is such that we have to identify and see what to do for them rather than just put them in the jail or behead them so i think there is lot to learn today richard in terms of human behavior human nature why the dominance why do you want to occupy dominant why would somebody rape a person what is the reason you know and we you know we don't have answers you no know, yeah. psychologists come and go various theories come and go various books are written you know if you go back and read sigmund freud now we think we don't believe in it some of them people say it's not correct there's a new interpretation has come so it is an amazing world amazing wealth of knowledge is being given and we are absorbing it but i think Uh, in my view in the next few decades uh, we are going to see a big change because of the understanding of the gene the human body and the genes i think as we sequence the complete gene now it has become very uh, cost effective to sequence we are going to understand the mutations what is it is triggering some behavior and how yeah. do we suppress the trigger even at birth we can do so i think it is in the phenomenal time we are living hopefully we'll see some answers to all this okay Yeah. And I know you said earlier that the the whole ethical and moral question is a whole another conversation which we won't yeah. get into right now. But one of the things that I will touch upon here is uh what you just said in terms of okay, well if it's if it's in in my uh genetics, uh that does not excuse my behavior, but at least it explains it. I yeah. still have to pay the penalty in the society in which I live, but at least now I know why that it was just part and and but or the richard is what is the penalty see the penalty can be something which is more understanding can we change mm. that person can the penalty be be different should it be a death sentence should yeah. it be a lifetime prison or a rehab program for them can we do something is it possible i think these are some of the socio social issues which have to be debated at all levels yeah. as we understand the human gene more and more I I couldn't agree with you. No, no, for example, I will ask you yeah. a very simple question. Why are there good people? Why are there people who are bad? Why are there people very positive? You know, you see a section we say always glass is half full, but another people always see glass is half empty. Why is it? It, it why what is it? You see the same thing, same scenario, and somebody sees very positive and the person sitting next to you sees very negative in them. Why? Mm. You know, what is yeah. the reason? It's not just upbringing, it's beyond upbringing. <laughs> well, I will tell you that that my understanding of uh, uh Hinduism uh teaches me that uh it's all maya. It's all an illusion. None of this is real, okay? And that there is no there is no dualism, okay? There's no duality. All right? Because if you look out into the universe, all right? Let's say through the Hubble telescope and you watch the universe unfolding, you watch uh and supernovas exploding creating new stars and you watch asteroids and comets flying through and crashing into this that and the other thing yeah. and you see the spinning of galaxies and on and on and on we don't pass judgment we're not saying oh my gosh that supernova is going to explode that's bad oh dear no we are sitting there ooing and aahing like we're watching fireworks on the 4th of July here in the states and when we look at the mic- through the microscope the electron microscope let's say at living tissue and living cells and subatomic particles and they're moving around in the same fashion yeah and we still ooh and we awe but when we get to our level where you and I live we're either scared and screaming and fearful out of our minds or we're in bliss and in joy and in happiness and it's just all skittles and bits and it's like wait a minute How is it that it's different and non-dualistic, I'll call it monolistic, 
out yeah. in the universe and at the subatomic level. It's monolistic here. Things just happen. The tree just fell over and it, it uh, landed on a car, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. And I'm talking natural disasters. I'm talking about natural events. I'm not talking about man's inhumanity to man. I'm hoping we can find the gene and splice that out. But be that as it may, it's, it's uh, the coronavirus. There are pros and cons, if you will. But the reality is it is what it is. Uh, what do we know about it? What have we learned? And Okay, so from what we've learned today, what do we do? And then tomorrow we're going to learn a little more, so we may modify what we do. But it's not good or bad. I mean, that's just an observation no, on my part. You're absolutely right. Uh, not good or bad. That's the right word because in Hinduism, you talked about Maya. I can just say one thing about Hinduism. Sure. See, Hinduism, there is nothing like an absolute truth. You know, it is like the old story, nine blind people feeling an elephant, all are right. Ah, yes, they give yes. different questions. Mm -hmm. That is Hinduism in a nutshell. So we can, you know, we can interpret various things in various ways. There is nothing like one truth, one thing, one uh, ent entity. So that is what makes uh, this tolerant society we talked about. And that is what has made Hinduism survive. Because if it was monolithic, if it was like one God, one thing, one area, I think it would, it would have been difficult. Uh, so, you know, there is various ways of looking at, is it a way of life? Should mm -hmm. we choose, you know, like in Hinduism, you want to be a believer, non-believer, everybody is accepted. So it is, it is a different, it's a different culture and each culture has good, good things and negative things. Let us be very clear. There is nothing like absolute truth and absolute culture. This is the best culture, this is the best religion, nothing like that. I think there is good, good things we can take from each religion. And that is where I think the, the, the world has to head as we move forward, accepting each person for what they are and trying to create an environment where we can all live in peace. But that is a long shot. That is utopia, I know. And it is, it is very difficult because we are very self-centered. Whether it's a nation or individual, we have become very self-centered. And somewhere we need visionary leaders, Richard. We need leaders who are visionaries who cut across party lines, who do what is right for the nation and the future. And that is what is lacking today. We don't have global visionary leaders. And unfortunately, maybe their time will come when we will have. But right now, we are lacking that in the world. Visionary that, leaders are lacking. Yeah. Well, as far as utopia is concerned, there is a, a wonderful uh, saying, a man can dream, can't he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, without, without hope in one sense uh, yeah. and faith in the possibility that it could happen, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather strive for it than just yeah. kind of just continue to survive through life. And that's what we talk about on this program, that we want to move from survival to, my word, thrival, okay? Yeah, and it's like I would venture that that the people on the planet today who are literally surviving would love to not have to survive, not have to live just to survive, but actually live out a full and exciting life, doing things that maybe they never thought they could do. That's why we try to bring people such as yourself, uh, Doctor, on the program to to discuss some of these things. And I want to remind our listeners that. Uh, uh, we are talking about excellence. There is no, there, there has no bounds. Excellence has no bounds is, is basically the title of our guest book. And Dr. Aji Komar, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program. And I am hoping one day that when we do get to freely move about, uh, when the, the restrictions are, are lifted, uh, that maybe uh, we might see you here in the States, here on, on the sure. Central Coast. Uh, maybe we'll uh, do a studio, an interview in the studio to uh, continue this conversation because it really is important. And I do believe that, uh, rightly or wrongly, I do believe that um, we all have the capacity for this excellence of which you speak and that it is possible for us if we just, one of the things we're promoting this year 2020, the year of perfect vision, inner vision, going within and getting in touch with that still small voice, looking for yeah. that place of peace and calm. I know meditation can bring that. There are other, other methods as well. doesn't matter how you do it. Spend the time 
with yourself. And I know for some people that can be a scary thing because they haven't <laughs> spent a lot of time with themselves, even though they're with themselves all the time. I mean, people are very easy to blame others, but do you know yourself, know thyself, you know, that is yeah. lacking. Obviously, you know, that is a major part of understanding you and others. If you understand yourself, it becomes easier to understand others. Here, 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 here. Well, Dr. B.S. Ajakumar, I want to thank you again for joining us on the program. You, and, um, I do have three final questions for you before we wrap up, but I do want to remind our listeners that this program is heard Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., that specific time, doctor, uh, or Monday mornings at 1 a.m., which is probably late afternoon for you. Uh, yeah. And... Um, we also podcast them at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and many other locations. We will also be linked to uh, the doctor's uh, website so that you can uh, get more information about the work that he is doing, especially with HCG. And uh, we encourage you to go to the, the website to find out more about the work that he's doing in the, in the real areas of genetics and so forth. Um, the final three questions that I have for you are, number one, who is B.S. Ajikumar? <laughs> uh, Ajay Kumar is an ordinary person like anyone else, happens to be a doctor. And the way I grew up in the family, the value system given has made me look at, even though I've traveled across the world, seen, been there in the United States, now in India, I feel at this point uh, truly is you know, very reflective on what I can do for this society. That is what I am, who I am, to looking at, and particularly in the field I am expertise in. You know, you know, cancer, I know is a major disease, and I believe the contribution I have done uh, is something not only for cancer care, but it's also social. And that is where I believe that inner happiness. For me, I feel very content. The, in my inner voice is very happy about it. So I feel something I've contributed to this society gives me that immense satisfaction. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? <clears throat> I think one of the things I would like to achieve is uh, really uh, look at win the war on cancer, particularly in a developing country like India, emerging market like India. And where I see a lot of issues economic issues, the, the social issues. And I eventually, you know, I want to look at, uh, from this platform, to look at the social issues in a different way. Because as an, as an oncologist seeing patients, Richard, you learn a lot. I call it onco-philosophy. You know, you learn about the patient, you learn about a cancer patient who's about to die smiling and talking to you. Uh, actually, I had patients who kind of used to console me in their own, about to die. Imagine that, what am I learning from that? So with this experience, I want to really look at how do we look at social issues also. That is why I am involved with Women Empowerment, created a network where we support thousands of women and transform their lives through uh, empowerment and uh, microcredit. So I look at uh, society not as one, one area, but you have to look at, it's a drop in the ocean what we are doing. So we have to make an impact across the nation and globe. And that is my, uh, hopefully, uh, that is what I can achieve in the next decade or so. Hmm. I want Final to move question. on. I've created a think tank. I'm looking at even tobacco users. We have developed alternate farmers for tobacco farmers. So I want to look at the root causes of this and go after that as a whole society rather than in a small area. So how can we do that? It may be a big vision. It may be something I cannot achieve, but I always feel the, the road you take, the path you take is more important than the end. So I want to take that path. And our final question. What is your life's purpose? <laughs> I think maybe I touched on it. But okay. purpose is, you know, we all have family. We all have... Uh, uh, things we have learned as we grow up, but the purpose should be something uh, when you reflect on it, when you're on your deathbed, let us say, uh, I feel, you know what, I have done everything possible. I should not, I don't want to feel like I wish I had done more on this. I wish I had 
you know, uh, uh, you know, done this. I wish I had done this con contribution. So I am very reflective. So I, I feel the life's purpose can be achieved by repeated reflections and uh, do that. And it can change also based on the macro environment, then the situation you are in. Every 10 years, I believe you're not the same person. You know, what I thought 20 years ago, I'm not thinking now. So we change because of the ecosystem. We get a lot of feedback. That is also philosophy of life. You know, philosophy is not reading a book, understanding people and the feedback you're getting. So that is why I feel that my life's purpose is to have, be content, look at things in a positive way and see what you can do for others. Wonderful. Well, doctor, I want to thank you again, Dr. Ajay Kumar, for joining us on the program for sharing with us your philosophy and the work that you are doing uh, for the excellence that you bring to not just the work that you're doing, but to the lives of the people around you. And I'm hoping that much of, uh, much of that we can all glean from, as well as uh, gleaning from your latest work, Excellence Has No Borders. I think it'd be, it's available on Amazon, other, other locales as well. Uh, you can go through his website or you can just uh, look it up on Amazon. Excellence has no borders. And uh, of course, as I said before, Doctor, we will be linked to your website so people can get more information. And again, I thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to love.